Hello, everybody. My name is Richard C. Wilson, the founder of CommercialRealEstate.com and the Family Office Club. And today I'm excited to have with us uh, Laura Tice, who's from Singer Lewak, which is a accounting and tax consulting firm. Uh, welcome, Laura. Hi, thanks for having me. Sure. Uh, and I'll go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit more. So I'm a certified public accountant, and I specialize in tax consulting, minimization, and compliance and defense for multifamily apartments, multifamily brokers, real estate investors, real estate developers, and multifamily management companies. I've consulted over on over 500 million worth of real estate deals in the past year alone, and I have many, many no-change audits under my belt, so something I like to brag about. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Well, I'm um, looking forward to working together with some of our client work too. So hopefully uh, we can go on the next decade with uh, the great results you've gotten so far. So uh, today we wanted to talk about qualified business income, QBI, how that relates to real estate assets potentially. This is something that I hear come up in conversations at least three times in the last quarter. I've heard it come up. I don't have a real in-depth grasp, grasp of this yet. And I want to share with my listeners um, a little bit of your knowledge in this area, if we could, if you can just kind of start at the top, assuming that the listener doesn't know anything about this area. So the Qualified Business Income Deduction, or QBI abbreviated, is something that came about as a result of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act in 2017. So what they did is they lowered the corporate tax rate to 21%, and they had to do something for small business, um, because otherwise small business would have fled and all converted to C corporations, right? right? So what they did is they created this qualified business income deduction, which is quote unquote, a magical deduction, because it, re it requires no additional cash outlay, which is very different than any other tax deduction in a sense, because most tax deductions require that you actually spend money or put cash out. So what this is, is it's a 20% deduction of your net income from whatever we're, we're talking about, whatever all your qualified business income activities combined together. Okay. And so how that relates to real estate is that the qualified business income deduction is only available for what we call active business activities, right? Which normally real estate is considered to be a passive activity automatically. And so we have to file an election and do somewhat of an analysis to see if the real estate activity qualifies to be a qualified business income deduction activity. And so okay. that mainly happens at the property level and so when, when we go through the checklist of how to qualify, one of the biggest items is that um, if the business, if the real estate enterprise has been in existence for less than four years, you need to have had on annual 250 hours of activities for that property or real estate enterprise. Now you can... Okay. You can sometimes group together activities that um, are kind of appropriately economically grouped, meaning that you have rentals that you all man that you manage, or properties that are very 
similar under similar control and management. And so the mm -hmm. 250 hours, the challenging thing about that is that it kind of excludes the back office management activity. Okay. But you, you can count independent contractors. You can count um, repairs and maintenance in that time that independent contractors might perform. You count the collection of rent, um, advertising, all of the negotiating lease time. So all of kind of your hands-on management activity, not so much the financial back office type stuff to get to okay. that 250 mark threshold. Um, okay. And if you're working with clients, what's the typical type of client that finds this pretty easy to qualify for? Like, for example, we talked earlier about R&D credits is kind of a go-to thing in your mind when it comes to manufacturing. When it comes to real estate and QBI, have you found certain types or sizes of real estate businesses kind of lend themselves to QBI and are easier to implement? You, you know, it seems it seems that multifamily properties, if if you have more than, we'll call it, 10, 15 units, it, it's very easy to meet that 250 hour mark. I okay. think you can even meet that 250 hour mark if you have three, four single family homes. Um, so it, it just kind of depends on the activity. And I should mention that there's, um, there's an exclusion for triple net leases. Uh, but you and I know that there are all sorts of types of triple net leases. And so it's really important to kind of uh, do an extensive analysis on what type of triple net lease you're working with. Okay. And then this is different than a designation to the IRS that you are a real estate professional. It has nothing to do with that. And that designation does not affect QBI. Is that correct? Cor correct. You can be completely passive and not mm -hmm. a real estate professional and still claim QBI. Where okay. this is going to be most beneficial is when you have properties that are actually kicking off net income after depreciation. And um, you can even group them together to um, make, make your maximum QBI available. Right, right. Makes sense. Okay. So um, about 10 days ago, one of my investors closed on a fourplex in, a, in a, one of the big U.S. cities. And in that case, he is actively managing it as a 50% owner. Um, you know, that active part doesn't matter in this case. But if he was spending that 250 hours a year on non-back office operations, he could in effect, you know, file for this QBI and potentially have a 20% tax deduction off of his taxable rate or to be a 20% deduction off that taxable income? Like let's say he was bringing in a hundred thousand a year. Now he's only taxed on 80,000. So it's 20%, it's a 20% deduction from income, which okay. lowers. So the maximum rate under current tax law for individuals is 37. Right. And so this brings it down to a maximum of 29% if you're taking max QBI. And okay. so that, that would be a good example, um, especially if he thinks he's, it's going to be a net income generating activity. Mm -hmm. um, another thing I should mention is that you can't, you can't really pick and choose. You have a, a duty to be consistent. 
And so if you think that activity is going to be uh, net income positive cash and cash flow positive, then you're going to definitely want to make the election. But if the activity is just always going to have losses, then, then you probably want to pause and, and consider whether you want to make the election or not. Sure, sure. Sometimes there's a little kind of gotcha part of tax code where it's kind of like, <laughs> oh yeah, my, my CPA said I could do QBI. And then once you go try to do it, it's like, oh, well, you can't because your AGI is over this. Or like, oh, well, you can only do that one time and you already took QBI on your operating business LLC. Like, are there any little other and, barriers to doing this? And then you, you bring up a good one, which is the net income or the AGI limitation. And so if you, if you run into this AGI limitation, which starts happening right around $330,000 for married filing jointly couples, mm-hmm. um, then, then you run into this AGI limitation and then you need a combination of W-2 wages or using the adjusted basis of the rental property. You can either use 50% of W-2 wages that you pay to uh, employees on the property premise or 2.5% of the unadjusted basis of the assets. Okay. And uh, an employee has to be a W-2 employee, not a 1099 contractor in that case. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's a good reason to put people on a (laughs) W-2. Right. Right. Yeah, Yeah. I guess so. Okay, great. Well, I don't want to keep you too long. So we want to keep these, you know, short and tight and concise. Are there any other things to watch out for or to emphasize or any other important details or common points of confusion here? Well, you can't use it for a vacation property that you're using for personal purposes. Okay. Uh, That might be important to note uh, since some of those properties can be revenue generating, especially if they're in a really attractive place. Um, You also need to maintain books and records and time logs technically under the rules to demonstrate that you've hit the 250 hours. And then finally, you do have to attach some paperwork and make the designation on your tax return to actually be able to claim the 20% deduction. Right, right. So obviously, you and your firm help with knowing how that this thing even exists and then helping with that paperwork part and then, you know, keeping an Excel-based journal that's of some reasonable high-level nature of time spent. Um, You know, it's if if you have a management company involved, uh, the paperwork really isn't much of much of a thing. Um, okay. And uh, because the management company keeps time records. Um, but if, if you're self-managing, then um, the, the hours, you know, that kind of piggybacks into other real estate issues that I'm sure you've talked about with active participation and whether or not you're, you're meeting the real estate professional hour test, et cetera. And so I think um, to some extent, your, your records can, can piggyback on some of those hour record requirements. Right, right. Okay, great. Well, thank you for your time here today. Um, I hope you can speak at one of our investor summits again coming up soon. And I hope to have you back for another short tax interview like this again as well. I think this was super helpful. Thank you so much. That would be great. Talk to you soon. Yeah. Take care. Bye. Bye.